Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this From the Field episode, Editor-in-Chief Teresa Moulton interviews Danny Houston Jackson, Senior Change Advisor at 1898 & Company, a division of Burns & McDonald. In this fast-paced interview, Dana takes us through a journey toward motivating our people and teams by focusing on corporate culture. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Change Management Review podcast. I'm Teresa Moulton, Editor-in-Chief of the Change Management Review, and I'm lucky to have Dana Houston-Jackson here with me, and she is going to be sharing uh, sharing with you and on how to overcome cultural antibodies that reject change. Very interesting topic, but let me share a little bit about Dana with you. Dana is an accomplished certified change manager and project management professional in 1898 and Co., which is part of Burns and McDonnell. She has 25 plus years of experience in organizational development, people change management and project management, specializing in multiple fields, utilities, IT, technology services, federal government, nonprofit, construction, manufacturing, and academia. She is a strong communicator, natural orchestrator, incurable, positive, and relentlessly inquisitive. And I can, I can attest to that with personal knowledge. Um, and that's one of the reasons we wanted to have Dana uh, share her insights on uh, culture uh, for us in this podcast. So Dana, welcome. Thank you very much, Teresa. Really happy to be here and talk about this very rich and in-demand subject right now. Yes, it is. Um, it's amazing how many more people want to, um, you know, talk about it in terms of, you know, what culture looks like now as well, opposed yeah. to pre-pandemic and all that. Yeah, 2020 has really rocked culture across the boards on multiple layers. So it sure good, has. good time for the discussion. Yes. So, um, could you tell people how you got into the change management profession? Yeah, absolutely. I started off my life in manufacturing, project management, Lean Six Sigma type concepts. And I was on projects with my teams and we were developing what we thought were these brilliant processes, right? Brilliant improvements and would really help the company and folks. And uh, one particular project, we came back six months later to check in on it and found only 30% were using it. And we're like, whoa. That was a waste of time. And uh, for me, t you waste time, that wastes life. Life's way too precious to waste, right? And we're like, what did we miss on this? And that's how I uh, got into the field of people change management. Because realistically, it's not how brilliant your design is or how well you built something, but the real value comes when it's used. Uh, right. Thus, I got to, and started specializing in that aspect. Wow. So with all your other skills, that really rounds them out nicely. It does. It really yeah. does. I mean, the other skills help to understand the language and the mindset of where folks were at. You know, you combine construction with engineering, with academia, with manufacturing and Lean Six Sigma. These are all just change enabling systems too. Agile, Lean, et cetera. You, you mix them all together and the whole intent is really remove friction and increase the potential of achieving that value. Right. Well, you know, that's one of the things that's always interesting to me uh, when I'm doing these podcasts is everyone comes into the field 
you know, for a different reason and from someplace else. So <laughs> it's good to hear your story about that. <laughs> That's true diversity of thought, right? right? Yes. That's real, what diversity is really all about is diversity of thought and the different backgrounds help bring that all together. Yeah, that's great. So we're going to talk about how to overcome cultural antibodies that reject change. Can you share a little bit of the context on that topic? Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously inspired by 2020. Right. right? Uh, when we think of organizations, we can think of them as an organism, right? And if you compare that aspect of it, if uh, uh, how, how exactly culture is uh, created and produced, as well as uh, why certain things are rejected or not assimilated, um, then it kind of fits in the context here. And I was just also kind of taking advantage of, of what we're all, our global population is, is concentrating on through the naming of it, but it mm -hmm. seemed like an appropriate analogy at this point. Yeah, that's great. Um, so let's dive in. Great. Okay, so one of the things that um, I was wondering about is why can't we motivate others with the black and white numbers and facts? That should be enough, shouldn't it? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I tell you, I and a bunch of other engineering types really wish that was true. Uh, I mean, the fact is in, in Cotter's recent book, The Heart of Change, he mm -hmm. makes it pretty clear that after seven years and roughly the 200 companies or so that they studied, motivation really is a feelings word. It's a feelings mm -hmm. activity. It's not an analytical word. So those folks that miss telling the emotional change story at the beginning or bringing in the what's in it for me into the conversation, plus some maybe some awareness and desire in their language, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when they're announcing changes, they really miss the boat. Uh, it's true, we do need the numbers and facts to attract the attention of those financial types or show me the number types or an engineering types, right? But that's not gonna be enough to convince even those types to make changes in themselves. You know, I was looking at this and I really think some managers, and I know this personal experience too, I've done this in the past and, you know, therefore I could resonate with it, but I think some managers and leaders might take for granted just how hard other people have worked to set up whatever their current operating state is and their education is, right? It may have taken them years and years to land where and how they're doing things right now. So it's going to take a lot more than just an, an email or an announcement on a stage or even one discussion to help them effectively make some kind of major change in their operating basis. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think that you know, that is a key point of what I'm reading and hearing about um, as well is just, you know, the emotional piece of storytelling and um, really acknowledging that, you know, that does take up headspace uh, with people today more so than ever. Yes. And, you know, the, the logic and the numbers really should support that strategic and emotional story. You bet. Yeah, that's, that's really, really a good point. Um, and what are some of the signs of a company's culture uh, and what do we do with these signs? You know, that, that's a great question because if we can really understand the pieces and parts of culture, then we're all a lot more likely to target our changes to help kind of shift that culture. I mean, this really applies for anything. If you know the parts that make up something, right, it's easy for you to target your change projects or tactics for it. 
So some of these signs of a group or a company's culture that University of Michigan put together in their mm -hmm. principles of management work when I was studying some work there is they put together these five signs that really kind of help. One is mission statements, and that differs company to company, and it really sets a tone. Uh, rituals, stories and language that we use, rules and policy that we adhere to, and physical layouts of our offices and spaces. All of these play a part of a company's culture. Mm -hmm. um, during our webinar, you know, a few weeks ago, I gave you some examples of rituals here at Burns and McDonald, like our annual chili cook-off that celebrates when we bought the bank loan in the 80s and became 100% employee owned. Mm -hmm. um, and I told you the story too of my grandmother who sold Mary Kay, right? And their <laughs> pink Cadillacs and elaborate ceremonies with gowns and tiaras, right? Um, or even the physical layouts like Nike, when I work there, their statues and their buildings uh, that are all named after athletes and their trails and lakes and the mandatory policy to wear only Nike gear, right? And they're fully stocked out, stocked kind of workout rooms and yards, right? Mm -hmm. But I think 2020 has proven that culturally, culture can really rapidly or slowly change um, our meetings and training. I mean, look at what we're doing right now. Other than podcasts, this, this really wasn't the norm six months ago when we're doing everything virtually. It happened very quickly, which we all know can be good or bad. Um, but the fact is no one wants to change all elements of a culture. And I don't even think that's possible, to be honest with you, all elements of a culture. But there are elements of a culture that folks want to change. So separating culture into these categories can really help focus your efforts to understand, first of all, why that culture exists and thus how do we implement and focus our change tactics and change projects to generate the new culture we want. And all of these signs and pieces are, if you notice, it's something that can be influenced, right? So this, it's not this nebulous generality, we have to quote unquote change culture. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. But this means you can actually change elements of a company's culture or team or family or group. Right. If you can focus in on it uh, by looking at the pieces. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And in Shine's model, you know, there's this um, foundational level of culture that he talks about leadership values and um, that those really don't change. The only way you change the values in a culture is if a new leader comes in and kind of does a layer and a new layer on top of what's already there and so what that brings to mind for me is you know of those five signs that you're talking about there probably is a worthwhile analysis to, to really think about what components of those signs do you want to keep and which components do you think need to change yep. um, because i think in today's world you know there's there's definitely ways that the culture that we have can actually be a good thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and familiar and grounding for people as well. Yeah, and that's why I say I, I don't think anyone wants to throw out all elements of culture, right? There, right? There's a particular thing. So don't treat it like a generality, but break it down into really the specific and uh, we can get some smart tactics out of that. Yeah, that's great. And what do you think about um when to change a culture, you know, should a company try to shift their organization culture before implementing change projects or you know, is yeah, it part of the change project? This is a great question. Big debate out there too, right? Uh -huh. There's a big debate between at what point do you try to shift culture? Um, again, I think that goes back to 
how it's created in the first place. Right. And really culture creation takes that repetitive messaging or action over mm -hmm. a sufficient period of time. And, and that's why every company's culture is different, right? Because their people are different. Mm -hmm. Whoever's hired or not hired, uh, that makes a big impact on the company's culture, just like you pointed out there in Shine's model. So I think you can influence a, a culture of a group that you're changing through a change project, but I think it takes many kind of coordinated, concerted change projects that allow you to support and coach those leaders and managers and employees within those change to okay. demonstrate whatever the new mindset or behavior you want to see um, to create the new culture. So there's really no having to have before you can do, I think, when it comes to shifting culture. Uh, having a well-planned portfolio of change projects sitting right under those top C-level people for enterprise-wide sponsorship and really working those change projects, that results in culture change. And that will follow if the change projects are competently executed. You know, this morning I was reading this post on LinkedIn and this author talked about the COC versus the COC, meaning change of culture versus culture of change. Ah. Uh, yeah, and I've seen that start to float around and there's a lot of merit, I think, to that. Creating mm. a culture in which change is accepted and kind of embraced and expected it makes the speed of changes hitting all of us a lot easier to swallow, right? And mm -hmm. adopt and even celebrated instead of resisted. Uh, so I think that's maybe why also transformation offices are starting to pop up more and more. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, and even the concept of culture isn't something that's really included in change management methodologies right now, maybe a cultural assessment, but there's not a whole lot on how to do culture change. No. So this is really important uh, to pay attention to. I agree. So one of the things that came to mind was about the four processes that can work for or against you when you're tack tackle shifting to a new culture. Um, I remember in your presentation that you spent some time speaking about these and I'm wondering if you could share a little bit now. Yeah, you bet. Um, I'll highlight these four processes because these particular four have, in my experience, have been processes that are not looked at and kind of addressed deeply enough. Mm -hmm. um, but I have to recap a little bit to understand why I'm saying what I'm saying on how values are actually created in an mm -hmm. organization. Uh, and when I'm defining values here, I'm talking about standards of behavior, you know, mm -hmm. judgment about what's important and what isn't important. Um, and as I said before, I think we can all agree that the idea of the early values of a company's culture, they really do exert influence over its future values. I mean, this is really fundamentally why every single organization and team has a different culture. They've had different people with different mm -hmm. values in over time. So it is possible to think of this organization culture as an organism. All right, that protects itself from external forces, just like individuals do when they have vested interests, right? That organism can reject changes that it perceives uh, that will fly in the teeth of its accepted culture or more cell structure, so to speak, right? So I've said this before, but organization culture really determines what types of people are hired by an organization, but also what types of people are left out. It's that mm -hmm. omission that generally gets missed, right? Because it's hard to see something that doesn't exist, mm -hmm. um, but it's got to be part of the evaluation. So once any new employee is hired, 
that company usually assimilates them like an organism, right? Into, uh, you know, assimilates those new employees into their cells and kind of teaches them the way things are done in the organization. And it ends up molding the behavior through whatever is rewarded or penalized in that organization. Mm -hmm. So these processes really, these four processes have been called attraction, selection, attrition and onboarding processes. Those are the four most common names. Mm -hmm. um, and it's those four processes that I think really work for you or against you. So those are the first kind of process targets if you're trying to shift new culture enterprise-wide that I would recommend tackling. Mm, makes sense. All the touch points where you actually um, interface with, with somebody as they learn about the company or are making change about the company. Yeah. And it kind of sets up, it sets your standards. It sets your playbook, right? Yeah. And uh, you got a new employee, you got a new teammate coming onto your football team, right? They've got to learn the rules and the playbooks and, and the interaction. Um, so that, that onboarding there uh, kind of sets the tone there. So uh, yeah, it's, it's one, uh, it definitely weaves, they weave and they complement uh, one another. That makes a lot of sense. You know, and it's interesting because um, sometimes companies spend a whole lot of time on these culture initiatives, um, but they don't get to the embedding part, which is what you're talking about with these four processes, right. you know, to really embed the culture, the new culture into some of the ongoing processes that are in the organization. And I think that's one really good way to take culture and make it uh, tangible you know, when it comes from the intangible and make it really tangible for people. Exactly. And, and I tell you, it gets pretty frustrating as a change practitioner and as a leader, right? Their hard work can really just be blown away. Uh, you know, just it's so easy to just be blown away and lost when the onboarding process and the attraction and selection is not taken care of so that the new culture that you work so hard to build is maintained uh, or continued to be created. Right. Yeah, I agree. So moving on, you know, one of the things we wanted to chat about is the rise of the transformation office. Oh, yeah, that what is really a... <laughs> what do you see there? That's a real hopeful trend, right? It's actually one of the subjects of a series of articles and hopefully eventually a book that I'm co-authoring with Rebecca Mott. And that's a oh. name you, I'm sure you'll hear a lot more from. Uh -huh. uh, she's one to interview too. Very dynamic, smart lady. She spent over 30 years at the Tennessee Valley Authority. And okay. uh, so we're working together to, to dive into this. But really for the, for the past four or five years, I'm seeing this trend of adding transformation office or a transformation office or offices into an organization that are really blending all these 21st century change enabling systems in their mm -hmm. approach. And when I say 21st century change enabling systems, I'm talking about lean and agile, big A and little a, mm -hmm. uh, continuous improvement, design thinking, change management, gamification, product development, right? All of those processes, these are all complementary approaches. Mm-hmm. Their fundamental approach really is to kind of re remove friction, right? Mm -hmm. Just to make it easier and even possible for people to adapt new technology or new processes or whatever uh, that we're trying to change so that they can operate in a far more productive manner, uh, which means the company's more efficient and, and productive. So I think the idea moves past just change management as the only service. It really blends these synergistic approaches to make the change actually possible long-term for the client. Um, because it does take that repetitive action and messaging over time to change that culture. It's not a one-man show, nor do I think it's a one process only. 
Mm. Yeah, I think that's interesting because um, it's like the new flavor of transformation office methods because, you know, back in the 1990s through up through the about the 2000s, transformation offices were well-defined um, in, in a more singular way around the re-engineering re uh, methodology. And so you would find transformation offices, at least in my experience, uh, popping up in organizations. Then there was this like phase where they weren't seen positively. And so we started getting more str strategy realization offices, uh, which just is another format of transformation office. <laughs> and now the transformation office is coming back, but it's coming back with like a new set of tools that yeah. work together. It's, it's yeah. interesting how this, these trends work. Yeah, it really is. It's almost like fashion, right? <laughs> it is. It comes, back in, it comes back in vogue, but with a slightly different take on it. I mean, right. 1898, they do digital transformation transformation, but really to inter implement it well on an enterprise-wide basis. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where some of these missed earlier, they got the bad name. That generally calls for a team granted the charter and the right level of sponsorship and position mm -hmm. to sync mm -hmm. up the various divisions. Trying to do a transformation office for more than your group or division and you're embedded and you're embedded deep into it, right? Trying to do one outside of that, it gets really difficult. So I think that we there's a lot of lessons we can learn over what has worked and what hasn't worked with transformation offices and these new technologies. Uh, you know, this whole new process, gamification and mm. design thinking, man, there's some real powerful, powerful tools there mm -hmm. uh, and that blend really nice together. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. I think another field that would blend well with that is ethnography, um, where they are actually observing, they, you know, they go into ro rooms, or they observe customers using the products, or they observe project teams working together and bring those observations also into the fold. Um, as another way to collect information. Oh, absolutely. And that's part of Design Thinking 101. That's some yes. of the first steps there is to do that. So, yes. yeah, it's amazing all these little, um, I guess it's like any academic subject, you get branches, right? Just like any field, yes. you can get branches. But the, the concept of look to see what is being done now and by whom and how they're doing it and where are their pain points is, is fundamentally the same. It's right. kind of 101 step one, you know. Right. And it's interesting because I think as, you know, if you are involved in change management, but have also been involved in organizational development, observation hasn't necessarily, observation of group process hasn't necessarily been like a, ta a tactic. It might be something that's done as part of another activity that you're doing. Um, but, you know, Whereas in change management in the training world or, or the process world, uh, you might go through and watch people work and like kind of, you know, take notes and so forth. So bringing the, that concept forward in design thinking and integrating it with the other methodologies is really kind of neat, I think. Yeah, I think so too. That's why I think I definitely see it as a positive trend that has a, a lot of merit and, and potential possibility uh, competently executed.
<laughs> competently executed. Because <laughs> we all know what can happen if it's incompetently executed. <laughs> uh, yes. Someone has to go in and fix it. <laughs> and then that's how it sometimes gets a bad name, right? <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, Dana, this has been a great discussion. Is there anything that you think um, what you would like everybody to take away as like one of the major key points from this conversation? Well, thank you, Teresa. First of all, thank you for having this platform for us. You know, oh, all, all of us in this industry, uh, you know, one one for one that I work with and interact with uh, have really value you and, and this platform and what you've put together for us. Um, it, it always helps thank to you. know what others are going through and and uh, you have such a vast experience uh, yourself in, uh, in working with these companies one-on-one -on -one, that it's, it's always a fantastic learning experience. So I really appreciate that. I wanted to let you know that. But in general, really fundamentally, the, the message uh, really is, is let's get out of this generality of quote unquote change culture, right? And the, the, uh, that's an overwhelming statement in itself. Uh, there's no one that is singularly capable by themselves of quote changing a culture um, and, and break it down into its pieces and really work a, 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 put a well put together change portfolio, uh, bringing in all of the various 21st century change enabling systems, and then it makes it possible. Um, mm. it, it's not an unattainable goal. And in fact, every one of us are change leaders, if, if nothing else, in our own sphere of influence. Mm. That's great. I love that. Um, and Dana, how would people get a hold of you? Oh, great. Thank you for asking. I'm glad I have you at my back here, my marketing person here. Um, <laughs> first of all, LinkedIn, Dana Houston Jackson, right? You can always reach and connect up with me on LinkedIn. Um, I am part of a division of Burns and McDonald, 1898 and Co., which is the consulting arm for it. So probably the easiest, fastest way is, is we're, most all of us are on LinkedIn is we'll, we can start there. And if anyone needs some help with putting together the strategy for uh, changing culture or specifically uh, making transformational changes or setting up a transformational office and the various elements in it, then I would love to hear from you. Um, and, and more than that, just hear from the stories of what you're living through and what you're going through, because that always uh, kind of spurs the next thought article and next research um, that I tend to get myself into on a nonstop basis. Yes, on a nonstop basis. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've only met one other person that is as nonstop as, as you are and uh, and everybody else, you know, kind of keeps developing, but you and this other person are like just on steroids. Oh, is that is that Melanie? He's gonna yeah, do the agile change Melanie certification? Franklin, yes. Oh yes, I'm so glad I'm gonna be in her October class. That oh, woman good. is remarkable. I'm so looking forward to her October class. Yeah, I took her class in June and um, I just really enjoyed it. So that right. was that was good. All right, Dana. Well thanks again and um, hopefully you'll come back and talk with us again at another time. Absolutely Teresa. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye. We hope you've enjoyed this From the Field episode of the Change Management Review Podcast with Teresa Moulton, Editor-in-Chief of Change Management Review, and Danny Houston-Jackson. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn.